The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is one of Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. It's about that time, 2023 position previews. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, February 6th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. And today we'll be breaking down the entire catcher position, ADP, strategy, players to target, players to fade, and everything in between. And gents, we're just going to jump right in. I want to talk about strategy and just like a catcher outlook before we actually get into some ADP and players to talk about. Scott, at first glance, catcher is deeper than we've seen before. I feel like we might say this every year, but it legitimately, it legitimately feels really good. We currently have 10 catchers going inside the top 120 picks according to ADP. Last year, we had just five going inside the top 120. So that should tell us that we feel pretty good about the talent collectively. The the fantasy baseball drafters feel good about the talent. Um, is it deep up top? Do you agree? Or is it oh, it's, fool's it's gold? It's the deepest I've ever seen it. Like even going back to the days before I covered fantasy sports, like nice. I don't remember a time when catcher was this deep. And I don't think we say it every year. I mean, Salvador. part of the reason I was pushing Salvador Perez so hard last year is because he was... He felt like such an advantage at this very weak position. Um, but I don't feel the same way about JT Real Muto this year. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, it's just it's just been kind of this miraculous um, sequence of events where, first of all, there's been this influx of talent, more like catcher prospects than we've, we're used to seeing. 
and a lot of them have gotten introduced to the league the past few years, and they've pretty much all been successes on some level. There have been very few misses. I mean, Joey Bart, I guess, is a miss, but there have been very few misses among that uh, deep class of catcher prospects. And I look at the current crop of catcher prospects, and it's still very deep. Like, it could even get better. Um, So it's kind of like catchers going through a period sort of like shortstop did a few years ago, where it's historically weak position in fantasy. And then just suddenly all these big prospects kept remaining at the position and coming to the majors and, and living up to expectations. And it's been a very deep position ever since. It's hard to believe that catcher could end up in quite that same situation because it has some built in disadvantages with attrition and playing time concerns. You know, catchers don't normally start every day, but another interesting wrinkle that's added to its current state is the introduction of the DH spot to the NL, which has had a much bigger impact on catchers specifically than I imagined. So many of these catchers hit well that a lot of teams are just rather than straight up sitting them when they need a day off behind the plate, they're just shifting them over to DH. So looking at the at bats for catchers the past two years in 2021, there was only one catcher who got more than 500 at-bats. Do you know how many catchers got more than 500 at-bats last year? Four. 2021, there were six, counting the ones who got over 500 at-bats. There were six who got over 400 at-bats. Last year, there were 10. So, like, it's they're getting a lot more play. And I brought this up on a show recently when we were talking about playing time advantages for, for MJ Melendez. They're... Like it, it's not so rare of a thing anymore for a catcher to get not quite every day at bats, but a lot of at bats, a lot more at bats than we than than we've been seeing from the position previously. Yeah, and I had a stat similar to that, Scott. Last season we saw two uh, twenty one thousand eight hundred and thirty plate appearances for catchers, and that if it feels like there's been you know more plate appearances re- recently. That's because it's true. That is the most that we've seen since 2013. And that's a combination of things, which you mentioned. Prospects coming up. The position is more athletic, so some of these guys are getting uh, playing time in the outfield. They're getting shifted over to DH. So they're good hitters. They're good athletes. And they're young. There's a lot of young prospects coming up, too. So the position feels good now, and it feels like it could get even better in the coming years considering the young crop of uh, catcher prospects that we have coming to the majors uh, very soon. Chris, I want to ask you this question. How does your strategy change in a one-catcher league versus a two-catcher league? One-catcher leagues, most often head-to-head formats, head-to-head categories, or head-to-head points leagues, those, you know, you start one catcher. Uh, And then some people who don't play in any two-catcher leagues are probably wondering, what the heck are you doing? Why would you play with two catchers? But that is the traditional way to play Roto, and it's it's still pretty popular. So what do you think? I I think... Getting one of the high-end catchers probably matters more in a one-catcher league, which is kind of the opposite of what you would expect because you have more of those positions to fill. But because those Roto leagues have so many roster spots, 14 lineup spots for your hitters to fill, even a very good catcher outside of really like JT Rail Muto, even a really good catcher is only going to impact your overall production so much in those two catcher formats. And so unless you're going to double up, which I think is a viable strategy, like I I did it in one mock draft recently where I got uh, MJ Melendez and uh, Alejandro Kirk. 
where, you know, that combination specifically feels like you're actually giving yourself potentially a pretty big edge on the competition. But generally speaking, because there are so many lineup spots and because they're even with this, like the deepest crop of catchers ever, so few of them would actually be worth playing at any other position. So when you're passing up multiple shortstops and third basemen and outfielders, you are you're giving yourself an edge um, against the rest of the competition at catcher, but your overall production is still going to take a hit. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of cold water on the excitement over the position. Cause I, I don't necessarily dislike any of the prices individually, but it does feel a little bit like what you see at tight end in fantasy football, where like the top guys are such clear difference makers that they tend to have kind of a, a dragging effect on everyone else where like the next tier and the tier after that tend to get pulled up in drafts a little bit because you, you start to talk yourself into like TJ Hawkinson or, you know, Alejandro Kirk or whatever. Like Alejandro Kirk had an awesome season last year. Yeah. I think he's, I think Alejandro Kirk, he's really good. He hit like three, 300, right? Right around 300. Close Uh, to it. But it It, was like, it was 280. What? 13 home runs. 285 with... And 60-ish RBI and... 285, 14 home runs, 63 RBI. More more walks and strikeouts. That's that's pretty impressive. That's really good for a catcher. But there were 259 players who had 300 or more at-bats in 2022. Would you like to know how many catchers ranked in the top 100 out of 259 in home runs, runs, RBI, steals, and batting average, the five roto categories. It's probably still a low number. I mean, we're talking about 500 at-bats being a high, you know, a very high number at the position. So that would drag all the counting stats down. So you said how many top, top how many? Top 100 out of 259. So like top 60%. Three? Lower. (laughs) One? It's just real Muto. One. JT Realmuto was the only one. Uh, Salvador Perez and Dalton Varsho were the only other two to even rank in the top 100 in four out of the five roto categories. Now, typically you're looking at steals. There are so few catchers who steal bases that that one's kind of unfair. There's like three guys, I think, who ranked in the top 100 in steals. Um, But like only six were in the top 100 in batting average. Ten were in the top 100 in home runs. It's actually always been pretty easy, relatively speaking, to find catchers who can hit you know, 25 homers. It's just the ones who do tend to sink your batting average. But it's it's all to say that when you when we push catchers up in drafts, you do have to acknowledge that you are you're leaving something on the table. Yeah. Relative I, to other positions. I, I mean and, and one way I, I don't think you can really compare fantasy baseball to fantasy football <clears> is <throat> is in when you're talking like position scarcity because it's you know, it's it's less about how catcher compares to other positions than how catcher compares to itself. And I don't feel like there is a Salvador Perez or, you know, even going back before then, like JT Real Muto now coming off his best season is not as big of an advantage as JT Real Muto was five years ago when we st- he was still thought of as the best catcher in fantasy. There are just a lot of others who mm-hmm. can come close enough to replicating that kind of production that it isn't worth the upcharge. And Chris, I do agree with you. I don't know that I would, in a two-catcher league, take two catchers inside the first 10 rounds or so because 
there's an opportunity cost where you're patching, uh, you're just passing up so many other uh, counting stats from other positions that you can gain. Mm-hmm. But I, I probably want at least one of my top nine or ten, which, which Scott was referring to. Let's jump into ADP, and we will start with one catcher that stands above the rest using Fantasy Pros ADP. That is JT Real Muto, who has an ADP of 25.5, an early third round third round pick in 12-team leagues. The unquestioned king of the catcher position, incredibly consistent, has finished as the top catcher in Roto four of the past five years. Last year, it looked like he was actually slowing down following the 2021 season, and he got off to a really slow start. April mm-hmm. through June, hit only 239 with five home runs. From July 1st on, he hit 311, 17 homers, 11 steals, lowered the ground ball rate, started hitting the ball in the air, the power went through the roof, And he ran more than ever before. 22 homers, 21 steals. The first 2020 catcher since Pudge Rodriguez did it back in 1999. Scott. And they're they're the only two ever. They're the only two 2020 catchers ever. And you know what? I actually think Real Muto, with the new rules, he might actually run more. He's still 86th percentile in sprint speed, according to StatCast. Scott, the question is the opportunity cost. Again, Real Muto, as great as he is, early third round. He's going right around Michael Harris. If you're into Michael Harris, it sounds like you know some of us might be wary of him. Um, the elite second baseman, Lindor, DeGrom, Sandy Alcantara. There is a lot of talent there. Would you actually draft Real Muto? I had done it once in a mock draft. It was actually late in round three. Uh, so you could argue it was a discount. It was one of those mock drafts where the second baseman were already gone by the time my third round pick came up. I did not like the way it turned out. And a big reason I didn't like the way it turned out is because the Contreras brothers, Wilson and William, Sean Murphy, you know, we we got into like round 11, 12, 13, and they were still there and clearly the best available players. Now, this was a one-catcher league. Maybe in a yeah. two-catcher league, it would have been easier to justify. But um, it's not that JT Real Muto doesn't deserve to be number one. It's just that there's enough other talent at the position that it does it, it, it doesn't feel like you're achieving a the goal of position scarcity by doing that in a way and it, it might have in the past. It's a 32 year old catcher who relies a lot on being a standout in stolen bases. And we've seen not that long ago he was stealing eight to nine bases per season. And obviously that was a different team, but he went 21 of 22 on steals last year. He's a good base runner, but anytime you see someone in that like 95 to 90% success rate range, you should generally assume there's going to be some regression the following season. So even if he runs as often as he did last year, he's probably going to steal a few fewer bases. Like if he if he attempts 22 steals next season and steals 16 of them, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, that that's well within the realm of possibility. And so, you know, I, I think you're taking on some real risk at that price, like a late second uh, in a 15 or early third in a 12 team. That's a, that's a hefty price to pay. Let's move into the next group. There are four more catchers that go inside the top 65 picks according to ADP. And then we see a little bit of a drop after that. Dalton Varsho, an ADP of 43.5. That's the fourth round of a 12 team league traded to the Toronto Blue Jays this offseason, And that is a big upgrade in terms mm-hmm. of the lineup. Last year, the Diamondbacks were 14th in run scored. The Blue Jays were fourth. So obviously uh, likely to hit fifth or sixth in that lineup. Um, Should be lots of counting stats opportunities for Dalton Varsho. Last year, he hit 27 home runs. That was tied for the position lead. 79 runs, 74 RBI, 16 steals. 
Notice I didn't mention the batting average. 235 batting average. So he's really a four-category contributor. He is going to drag down the batting average. And Chris, I know the stat cast numbers are not great for Dalton Varsho, but he is another one of these where he pulls the ball and puts it in the air so much that he's able to maximize his power output as a result of that. So I think he can hit 25 home runs once again. Maybe the steals come back a little bit. I don't know that the Blue Jays are as aggressive as the Diamondbacks. You know, maybe it's like 12 to 15, something like that. But I still do think that he will be a power speed standout again this year. But, you know, fourth round, it's again, it's it's a pretty big price tag. Yeah, I, I might probably I, I I prefer his price to JT Realmuto. If if the, the prices that we're talking about are what you're going to have to pay, I think you can make a case that Varsho's right there with Realmuto. Uh, because it, it's also a pretty significant park upgrade. You know, Roger Center isn't a great park, but for power, it ranks much better than Chase Field. Chase Field's bottom five in home run park factor. Roger Center top 10. We don't know exactly how the new dimensions at the Roger Center are going to play out, but Chase Field's a very tough place to hit since they put the uh, humidor in a few years back. So I actually think... You know, this might be the last year that Dalton Varsho is catcher eligible, and it might be the last year that we're really talking about him as a very valuable fantasy option. But I think, given the, you know, that it's probably close to a wash in playing time between him and Real Muto, I think the only real significant edge Real Muto has is batting average. And it should be a big one. You know, it should be 30 ish points. But if you can overcome that, I think Varsho might be better everywhere else, or at least, you know, close to a push in terms of the counting stats. Uh, run production at least. And then, you know, home runs and steals. I, I think Varsha is right there with Ramuto, if not a little better. I don't know that I agree with you guys about the playing time issue because I, I think overall Varsha's value may drop with this move to Toronto. He was one of the four catcher eligible players who got more than mm-hmm. 500 at bats last year. Uh, but 553 OPS against left-handed pitchers. He's a left-handed sure. hitter, of course. And a team with stakes, a team that's playing for something like Toronto, uh, you know, they could they could find a way to get Varsha out of the lineup against left-handers easier than I think the Diamondbacks could, who were mostly focused on developing Varsha, you know, moving with Merrifield to the outfield and playing Santiago Espinal in the infield on those days off. Like, there, there are things they could do to get Varsha. So I, I worry a little bit about the playing time with Varsha. He's still going to play a lot. He's still going to play, certainly by catcher standards, a lot. More than 400 at-bats, I feel pretty confident in that. I don't know that the stolen bases are going to decline because I don't really think anybody's stolen bases are going to decline from one year to the next unless it's, you know, just a somebody slow who happened to steal a lot of bases like a Freddie Freeman, maybe his stolen bases decline. Uh, but Varsha doesn't fit that description. So I, I, I think the environment's going to change enough that I, I don't know that relative to, I think it's a push between the two of them. Varsha and, and Real Muto. Like who finishes first in, in stolen bases. in stolen bases. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I think overall value, just given the track record, I think I'd probably still rather use a third round pick than Real Muto on Real Muto versus Varsho. But realistically, I'm probably not going to be drafting either of these two myself just because of that opportunity cost. Once again, three more names in this grouping of ADP Will Smith of the Dodgers. The ADP is 52.5, Adley Rutschman at ADP 59, and Salvador Perez with an ADP of 65. So two there in the fifth round, one in the sixth. Uh, Will Smith, you could basically set your watch to his numbers the past two years, 255 to 260, mid-20s in home runs, 70-plus runs, 
plus RBI. He had 87 RBI last year that actually led the position. Uh, Will Smith seems pretty safe at this point. Yeah, it, it's it's funny that he's become like the safe, boring yeah. guy. At the and that's probably the wrong way to think of him. Like it's, it's fair to think of him as a high floor player, but I think it's unfair to say that just because he's a high floor player, he does not also have a higher ceiling than we've seen because this is a Dodgers team with fewer bats than they've had the past couple of seasons. If anything, he might play more. His count, his quality of contact metrics remain excellent. Um, I think there's room for improvement from Will Smith still. I think that a 30 homer season is well within the realm of possibility for him. The only concern I have, Chris, is that 108 plate appearances for Will Smith came at DH last year, mm-hmm. and they signed J.D. Martinez, who sure. is strictly a DH. He, he's not going to play the field. Like Maybe we get to a point where J.D. Martinez is just a shell of himself, and they want to just play Will Smith there more to keep his bat in the lineup. But as of now, the way things shape out, I don't know how much Will Smith will play at DH. I hadn't thought about that. That's a, that's a good point. Let's see. They still have Austin Barnes. For some reason, I thought he had moved on. So and I would say he's going to he's going like to play it. some at DH. Like, I, I think yeah. Real Muto is pro- like it's possible that J.P.J. Real Muto is just really good again. Uh, I think he's probably closer to like an league average bat at this point in his career, which yeah, that's fine. You know, that that's that's still a useful player. But you, you I, mean I, J.D. Martinez, J.D. Martinez. Sorry. Yeah, you're saying Real Muto, and it was yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah so you mean the, JT Real? Yeah, you don't think JD Martinez is going to play every day, DH? Yeah. Well, I just I don't think it's a guarantee. Like if there if yeah. there are days when they want Will Smith bat in the lineup, I don't think like oh, 35 year old JD Martinez <laughs> is going to stand in his way. You know? Right. Yeah. Especially sure. on a one year deal, and you know he started to fade last year too. Let's talk about Adley Rutschman, who last year hit 254 with 13 home runs, 70 runs scored in his rookie season, and. I think he could be slightly overpriced, Scott, in Roto and Categories Leagues. I don't want to sell him short. I think that he's an amazing prospect, and he's going to continue to get better as a hitter. I just don't know if the power is going to come right away this season. Maybe he hits 17, 18, pushes 20 home runs, but I just worry a little bit about uh, in Roto Category Leagues. Head-to-head points, Scott, he is a standout. The plate discipline is phenomenal. He's going to bat second in the Orioles lineup. Uh, even if he doesn't hit home runs, he hit a ton of doubles last year too. So Adley for me, I think he's either my second or third ranked catcher in head-to-head points. Love him in that format. Might be a touch yeah. overvalued in, in Roto and category leagues. Yeah, th- that's probably the right way to, I, I have Rushman second in my points league rankings because of the good plate discipline. And because even if he does disappoint with the home runs, there, there are going to be a lot of doubles. That's basically how it played out last year. But, you know, he still hit 13 home runs in 398 at-bats. And, you know, 113 games is what he played. Like, like it's not a stretch to see him hitting 20-plus homers. No. Like, I, I think he and Will Smith have more in common than not. And while I would bet on Will Smith hitting more home runs than Adley Rushman... Uh, Rushman could close the gap in other ways. I think he's a much safer bet to get 500 plus at bats than than Smith is, for instance. So I, I rank them neck and neck in either format. I like them both more in points since they they are good at drawing walks. Yeah, and I agree with that too. And and in fact, the catcher that I expect to hit even more home runs than either of those guys 
is Salvador Perez, who last year was going in the third, fourth round as the first catcher off the board, likely first catcher off the board. Uh, this year drops down a little bit. The ADP is 65. He's going in the sixth round. Really a tale of two seasons. Uh, he suffered a thumb sprain in mm-hmm. May, Salvador Perez did. He went on the IL. He came back uh, after missing 10 games, re-injured it in June, and then opted for surgery. He returned in late July. His final 57 games, Salvador Perez hit 297, 12 homers, 42 RBI, 834 OPS, near 12% barrel rate, 91.5 mile per hour average exit velocity. He wasn't exactly the player he was the year before, but he was pretty close. I mean, that's a 29 home run pace over 140 games. So, uh, Chris, if you're just asking me pure value, I mean, I think I might just wait until the sixth round and take Salvador Perez if he lasts the longest of this group. Yeah, I did that in the uh, points mock we did on Thursday night, I believe. And yeah, like even though it's one of those things where like he was disappointing last season. So I think that might, you know, make it easy to overstate how much he struggled, relatively speaking. But like he was still a well above average bat, not a well above average bat for a catcher. If he doesn't have that thumb injury and frankly, it seemed like, you know, if you remember, the Royals really kind of screwed up his his recovery from that because he suffered the injury and then just kept playing through it. I think he took a couple yep. days off and then it was very clear, like this guy should not be playing. He ends up missing like a month and a half. If not for that, even with the time that he struggled and the time, like he, his pace, if you give him his normal playing time, 30 plus homers, 90 plus RBI, he's probably the only guy that you can feel very confident is going to do both of those things at the catcher position. And he generally doesn't kill you in batting average. I, I think he's, a good value here. Like I would rather have, I, I get that Adley Rutschman, you know, there, there's a bit of the, the mystery box element, but you know, Salvador yep. Perez probably going to be better than Adley Rutschman for fantasy, especially in a Roto league. Yeah. Roto, I would say for sure. I, Salvador Perez is the player who I th- is the catcher, at least among high end options who gains the most value in a five yeah. by five league relative to a Roto league. Um, you could make that. The opposite would either be Adley Rushman or Alejandro Kirk because Alejandro Kirk like never strikes out. Like those Rushman, like if you're putting together an all head to head points team, the catcher would be either Rushman or Kirk. But if you're putting together an all roto team and all five by five categories team, it would be Salvador Perez because he's probably going to lead the position in home runs if he's healthy. And, um, he doesn't walk much. So yeah, that's it's, it's Salvador or Var- Varsho. Yeah. In the Roto categories. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I think, and we'll talk about Alejandro Kirk coming up. I, I agree, Scott. I think Kirk, Rutschman, and Will Smith just really stand out in a head-to-head points league. It's crazy to say that Salvador Perez is better in Roto because he's really just a two-category guy, home runs and RBI. The batting average will be okay, you know, 250-ish. 48 runs scored. Because Salvi yeah. does not get on base much and he's really slow, he, he's not going to score many runs either. So uh, just keep that in mind when building out your, your Roto rosters. After Salvador Perez at pick 65, there is a drop down to pick 99. So five catchers going between picks 99 and, uh, and 120. We'll start off with Alejandro Kirk. Again, ADP 99. Last year hit 285 with 14 home runs, one of six qualified hitters with more walks than strikeouts last season. But he did really fade late in the season. 241 batting average, two home runs, 649 OPS over his final 49 games. And Chris, one other thing I worry about with him, the team signed Brandon Belt. Can Brandon Belt stay healthy? 
Probably not. But it is one more obstacle mm-hmm. where last year Kirk played 51 games at DH. They still have Danny Jansen, who they like quite a bit too. They like his catching. They like his bat too. So I just think that the plate appearances probably come back a little bit for Kirk, but maybe he just progresses as a hitter. Yeah, I mean, it it, it really comes down to like, if Alejandro Kirk has an 850 OPS all season, he's going to play a lot. If he has a 720 OPS, and I think that's a... You know, that's a pretty wide range of outcomes, but it's not necessarily an unreasonable one, you know, given what we saw in the the back half of the season. You know, if he's not hitting, then it becomes a lot easier to get him out of the lineup if Brandon Belt's healthy and and Varsho's doing well. Like it it does become easier to justify. I think he's a very good player, but it's sort of to a certain extent kind of a one trick pony in a, in a roto context at least. He's an excellent excellent source of batting average. Everything else is kind of just okay, even for a catcher. You know, like what, what was it? Five hundred, really hard. Yes. So, no, he's a great there, hitter. There were three hitters last year who had a strikeout rate of less than fourteen percent and an average exit velocity of more than ninety miles per hour. One was Vinny Pasquantino. That's why we all love him. One was Yandy Diaz, who we know has major problems lifting the ball and that's kept him from living up to his potential all these years. The third one is Alejandro Kirk. And I think he has like of all the catchers we've talked about so far, except maybe Rushman Kirk has the most room to improve from what we've already seen from him. And the other reason why I think, um, I'm not as concerned about his downside as, as maybe others are. A, a Blue Jays catcher, I mean, a Blue Jays fan pointed this out to me online recently. The difference in Kirk's pitch framing versus Danny Jansen's pitch framing, uh, neither of them have great pop times. That might become more important as as people run more this year, but that's that's not really a distinguishing factor between the two of them. But Danny Jansen's pitch framing, according to StatCast, was only 37th percentile. Kirk's was 94th percentile. So it surprised me because down the stretch, Jansen was getting more bats as catcher and Kirk more at DH. But like by the data, it looks like Kirk is the better catcher of the two, like pure catcher, in which case, you know, hopefully even if Belt plays DH a lot, it won't, you know, Kirk will still get his bats. Yeah, and I think it comes down to Danny Jansen, too. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Is he the hitter that we saw last year? We'll talk about Danny Jansen a little bit later on, but if he's not performing as well, then they'll find a way to keep Alejandro Kirk's bat in the lineup as long as he is performing well. Uh, MJ Melendez is next up going just behind Alejandro Kirk with an ADP of 101.5. I think by now, if, if you watched or listened to our mock draft last week, then you know MJ Melendez is going to be a pretty polarizing player. I think he's really interesting Interesting, given his plate discipline, his power metrics, he hits the ball really hard. Projected playing time, he can be the backup catcher, play left field, he could DH, he kind of bounce around all over the place. Um, the, the shift restrictions, I think that's something that could also help MJ Melendez quite a bit. But the cost is decently high, going around pick 100 for a player who is not uh, very proven. So, uh, Scotty, in or out at this cost, MJ Melendez. So I'm out because we haven't mentioned either Contreras' brother yet, who I like more. We haven't mentioned Sean Murphy yet, who I like more. Uh, They were all better than Melendez last year. Now, there is some pretty impressive data there for Melendez. You know, the fact he's going to be batting leadoff, if things continue from last year anyway. 
new management team, so it's not a guarantee. But uh, if if Melendez does bat leadoff, that's that's helping with him getting at bats, obviously. Uh, but he needs to improve as a hitter if he's going to be as good as those other three who we haven't mentioned yet. And like, you know, bird in the hand versus two in the bush. I'm, I'm not even sure it's two in the bush. I'm I, like, he needs to get better to equal what the Contreras brothers are. And uh, I'm not ready to, to pay more for him. That's for that I possibility. think the, the case against him is William Contreras, the underlying metrics, the quality of contact, the plate discipline looks incredibly similar to MJ Melendez. And so if he's going later, I don't really see the point in taking MJ Melendez. Melendez is, I think he's the boomer bus pick of the position because there's a, there's a, you know, the, the outcomes for him aren't linear, right? There's, there's like a, there's a, there's a term logarithmic, I think is the, the term for when, like, a, you know, you, you have like exponential growth, right? I think that's the way to look at it is like if MJ Melendez struggles, things could get really bad for him. He could get sent down to the minors. He could lose playing time. But if he hits really well because of what he has going for him, the fact that he's probably not going to play catcher that much. So he's going to have, you know, potentially a significant edge in playing time because he's a lefty. So hopefully he can hit righties better this season and, and take a big step forward there. And because he's going to hit leadoff, like there's a lot of things that could put together that could come together for MJ Melendez that make him. I don't know if number one catcher is outlandish, but one of the very best, one of the few legitimate difference makers at the position. And so it's an incredibly wide error bar. I tend to pass him up at his price, but if he falls to like one twenty. 130 yeah. then yeah. i really like him like if, if he gets drafted like i rank him then <laughs> so what i was saying at the top of the show there are nine catchers i feel great about and there are 13 who could be that good mj melendez is not one of the nine Boom. interesting he Boom. is one of the 13 <laughs> i have him as one of the top 10 for me it's i trust the top 10 that includes melendez william Contreras, uh both Contreras's we'll talk about and um sean murphy and then once you get into like Cal Raleigh, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I really want to do that. But last thing I'll point out with MJ Melendez, 203 BABIP against the shift last year, 412 BABIP against the non-shift. So it's a really small sample. I don't know how much you could put into it, but he was really good against lefties too. Solid plate discipline. Uh, I'm more glass half full when it comes to MJ Melendez. So I am willing to pay the price uh, for him. Uh, but that's only assuming Wilson Contreras is gone because they're going around the same spot. And obviously, Wilson Contreras is much more proven than MJ Melendez. Signed a five-year, $87.5 million deal with the Cardinals this offseason. And Chris, it was like the reverse Real Muto for Wilson Contreras. Mm-hmm. If we could just con- combine those two, it would have been maybe the best catcher season ever. Because through <laughs> June, uh, Wilson Contreras was hitting 283 with 13 home runs. July on, he hit 186 with nine homers. He was dealing with ankle, hamstring injuries, uh, trade discussions. I think, you know, there was a mental aspect that probably got in the Mm -hmm. head of Wilson Contreras as well. But given what we know about his track record and now joining an even better lineup in the St. Louis Cardinals, a much better lineup, I really like the cost here for Wilson Contreras. I think the cost is fine. I I don't think there's much value in taking a player who's been around as long as Wilson Contreras and like doing the well from July 1st, like it, this is who he is more or less. And there's variance in his season long outcomes. There's variance in every player's month by month or half by half production. I think generally speaking with Wilson Contreras, you know, he's 
29? 30. He, okay, turns 31 this year. Yep. Like at this point, it's just high 700s, low 800s OPS bat, 20 ish, 25 ish homers, better counting stats this season, a just rock solid catcher across the board. But I don't. I don't expect a big departure one way or the other from what we've what we've seen. I agree with you completely. You look at the batting average the last three years, 243, 237, 243. Incredibly consistent. He's probably going to hit around 240 to 245. Yep. His home runs the last three full seasons, 24, 21, 22. This is who Wilson Contreras is, and, and it's a good player, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and let's talk about his brother now, traded over to the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll actually put these last two together. William Contreras going at 110 ADP, Sean Murphy going at 119.5. They were both part of a three-team trade where William Contreras went to Milwaukee and Sean Murphy went from Oakland to Atlanta, Scott. So I think there's a lot to like about both of these catchers. Which one do you prefer and why? Yeah, both of their stock went up with that move. Uh, William Contreras has a much less competition in Milwaukee than he did in Atlanta as the the secondary option to Travis Darno. Uh, I like William Contreras more, but it's not not by enough that I want to be the one to decide. You know. Uh, interestingly, William Contreras, who, as I mentioned, is the brother of Wilson. If you look at their stat cast sliders, their percentile rankings and basically every offensive measure, it's eerily similar, especially given the fact that they're brothers. Like it's, it's, it's almost like William Contreras is the second coming of Wilson Contreras. Uh, Wilson strikes out less. That's the main difference, at least at this stage of his career. Uh, but yeah, William Contreras going to a very favorable park. Like I said, going to a place without much competition. Uh, I, it surprises me, g- given how good he was last year, that he is allowed to slide so much in drafts. Like a lot of times I'll be drafting and there'll be five or six rounds difference between him and Wilson Contreras. And that doesn't seem justified to me. Uh, in part, I think it's just he gets lost in the shuffle because there are so many great options. But I would say William Contreras is a great option, too. Among catchers last year with at least 350 plate appearances, William Contreras, 860 OPS, ranked first. 228 ISO, ranked second. 13.4% barrel rate, ranked third at the position. And then Sean Murphy, in his career at Oakland Coliseum, he hit 213, 319, 368. That's the triple slash with 17 homers. Everywhere else, 256, 334, 484 with 29 home runs. Chris, I think that there is a Will Smith-esque outcome here for Sean Murphy where he hits 260, 25 home runs with really good counting stats in the middle of a really good Atlanta Braves lineup. So I like both of these guys a lot, but I think I prefer Sean Murphy by a hair. I prefer Contreras, and I wonder if that's just a little bit of ageism. Sean Murphy's not old, but he's 28. I... I I don't know. The the home road splits are are tough because they are so pronounced. I mean, it's like about a 620 OPS at home versus an 800 OPS on the road. And, you know, it is an improved park, although I think Atlanta is more neutral trending towards pitcher than anything else. Um, And I would just like he took he took a big step forward with his strikeout rate last season. I don't know how much I buy that. Uh, sustaining and so you know if he doesn't sustain that will the other improvements come I I don't know I find Murphy's price a little perplexing I guess it's not that I dislike him so much as I just like 
don't really think about him in the 10th round range. He just, he's never going to be someone who's on my board and, and maybe I'm going to miss out, but I, I, I don't necessarily see the gigantic step forward coming, especially because he's not going to get nearly as many plate appearances as he did last season. I, I think like he's going to play plenty, but he got 612 plate appearances last season. I, I think that's, I, I, I think easily that the take position, the un- right. Yeah. yeah he led the position in at bats anyway. I'll take 612 minus 50 and, and probably take the under. Yeah, because in part because he had such a playing time advantage, Sean Murphy was the fourth best catcher in points leagues last year. Although twelfth in points per game, correct? Yeah, yeah, two point five fantasy points per game. But I do think there is a trade off there where the plate uh, the plate appearances will come down, but he'll just be better on a per plate appearance sure. basis because he'll I, I, I have more I'll runs. have more to say about Murphy later when we get to sleepers, breakouts, and busts. <gasps> Ooh, all right, little tease there. Uh, let's take a break from the ADP, but first, make sure to follow us on TikTok if you haven't already. We're taking a lot of short clips from the podcast and we're posting them with a bunch of highlights, some fun stuff, tiktok.com slash at FBTpod or just search FBTpod on the TikTok app and we'll have one mailbag per week in the month of February and March uh, while we're at it. Those will be out on Fridays, uh, so continue sending in your questions, but we're also going to do player profiles on our bonus FBT and 5 podcast. So if there's a certain polarizing player or a prospect that you'd like us to break down further, you can email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com or leave a five-star rating on Apple and drop a name in the review. Uh, for the email, just put player profile in the subject line. Again, fantasybaseball at cbsi. That's the letter I dot com. We'll take a break and be back right after this. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. It's time for sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the catcher position. Let's keep it moving, though, here, because we do have a lot of other names to get to. Sleepers, we'll start with you, Scott. Who you got? Okay, my sleeper at catcher. Uh, Remind me who my sleeper at catcher is. Francisco Alvarez. Yes, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets. The top catcher prospect right now. That's a pretty easy place to go with sleeper, right? Uh, we saw him at the very end of last season. He came up mostly DH'd for the Mets, didn't play much at all. And um, they moved James McCann this offseason. They brought in Omar Narvaez. There's not really an obstacle there for for um, Alvarez on a team with postseason ambitions. He is a monster power hitter. He's moved very quickly in the minors. I believe he's only 21 Correct. And yet he's already getting these opportunities. Like his bats move faster than the glove. That's really the only thing 
driving down his cost is skepticism that he's going to get a real opportunity because of how underdeveloped his glove is. I think there's a pretty good chance Alvarez begins the year in the minors so he can get a little more work behind the plate. But sooner than later, maybe about the time Adley Rushman got called up last year, uh, the Mets are going to want him in their lineup. Maybe as the maybe as like the 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 lesser half of a platoon with Omar Narvaez who bats left-handed, and then also getting a lot of bats at DH, like probably that hybrid role for Alvarez. But um, it's going to be enough at bats, and it's going to be early enough that in two catcher leagues, he should absolutely be taken. And I would probably take him among the first 15 catchers in that format. The ADP for Alvarez is 281.5. I agree, likely to start the season in the minors, but if he's up by early to mid-May, which was the case for Adley Rutschman and MJ Melendez last season, then Alvarez could make a big impact as soon as this year. Chris, your sleeper at catcher. I'll go with the guy who, if not for being on the major league roster for a few too many days might be the number one catching prospect in baseball. That's Gabriel Moreno who got traded this off season to the Arizona Diamondbacks expecting him to be on the opening day roster, but probably getting fewer than half of the starts to start the season behind Carson Kelly. Although I don't think it'll take much to supplant Carson Kelly. And I think one thing that Gabriel Moreno has going for him is Carson Kelly just can't hit right-handed pitchers. I usually don't take much stock into right-handed batters versus right-handed pitchers splits because generally speaking, most right-handed batters can hit right-handed pitchers. Uh, If you're good enough to be in the majors, you're good enough to hit right-handed pitching. You wouldn't have gotten there. Otherwise, Carson Kelly being a catcher, that changes the calculus. He's got a 632 OPS against righties versus an 814 against lefties. So there's an opportunity for for Gabriel Moreno to kind of become the larger part of a platoon or at least a de facto platoon for the Diamondbacks and a shockingly similar skill set to Alejandro Kirk. Uh, Not the prototypical athlete in terms of how he looks, but actually a decent enough athlete that he could be a non-zero in speed. Very, very contact forward approach. A lot of ground balls last season didn't hit a ton of barrels or a ton of, you know, hard hit balls in the air last year, but the quality of contact metrics were Decent enough, given that he played very sparingly when he was in the majors, that I still think there's plenty to like about him. Career 310 hitter in the minors. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, I, I think there's a there's a chance that he's a carbon copy of Alejandro Kirk. The, the comp I made in, um, and he's not going to walk as much probably, but the comp I made in my catcher preview that's going up on the site on Monday is like a less athletic Jason Kendall someone who's just really, really valuable because he gets a, a huge bump in batting average. And, and I, Gabriel Moreno could be like an eight steal guy. There's a chance. I feel really good about the hit tool and the batting average for Moreno, but he had just four home runs in 87 combined mm-hmm. games between AAA last year and the Blue Jays. So uh, there's some questions about what the power is going to be. Could he develop into Kirk or is he more of a Caber Ruiz right now? Yeah. I think that's the question for uh, Gabriel Moreno. Sleeper for me, I think maybe I went a little bit too deep because he's not even listed in Fantasy Pros ADP. But if you play in a two-catcher league, Someone I don't mind waiting on as a second catcher is Christian Betancourt of the Tampa Bay Rays. Last year, he hit 252 with 11 homers and five steals in just 333 plate appearances. His 11.7% barrel rate was fourth among catchers with at least 200 batted balls. Currently projected, projected as Tampa's starter. The only other catcher there is Francisco Mejia, who is a worse framer, and he was a worse hitter last season as well. So 
I know Betancourt kind of came out of nowhere, but I think he's going to play, and he hits the ball hard. So those are two of the main things I'm looking at for a sleeper catcher, uh, and, and that is exactly what Betancourt does. A breakout at the catcher position. Chris, this time we'll start with you. Yeah, William Contreras, who we talked about already. It, he's one of those guys who, at least if you trust the StatCast metrics, it, it, it he might be too good of a hitter to play ca- play catcher, if that makes sense. Like There might be too much risk in him playing catcher full-time if he's really going to be as good of a hitter as he was last season. He was 90th percentile in expected slugging percentage, 82nd percentile in expected WOBA quality of contact metrics all back it up. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game. He's actually got a decent eye at the plate. He doesn't chase very often. He just, you know, he takes big cuts and he takes big misses, but I I think there's a chance that we're talking about a, a 25 homer catcher who doesn't kill you in batting average, even with the strikeout rate. I, I think William Contreras, it's a, it's a plus park upgrade too going to Milwaukee, probably a playing time upgrade. So, I, uh, I I like him very much. As somebody who watched him a lot with the Braves last year, I was becoming a big fan of William Contreras. Like, his home runs looked different. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and, like, they're not wall scrapers. <laughs> well, Scott, with that being said, hmm, who is your breakout this season? It's Sean Murphy. Ah. It's the guy the Braves got uh, and, and traded away William Contreras to get. And that's part of the reasoning for it. Um, but let's let's backtrack a little from there. So Chris talked earlier about how Sean Murphy is kind of older, twenty eight, but it's it it's it, it's misleading where he is in his development because his rookie year was the short twenty twenty season. So last year was really his second full season, Sean Murphy, and I think he did take about a third of the way into the year. I think he did take a big step forward that maybe doesn't show up in the overall numbers. So. Uh, from from June 1st on, his strikeout rate dropped 10 percentage points. Uh, throughout his minor league career, he was a guy who struck out only 15, 16% of the time. And the thinking when he was a prospect was like, okay, but is there going to be enough power? Well, the power was there from the beginning. And over the final two-thirds last season, it seemed like the contact skills caught up for Sean Murphy. He hit about 280 during that stretch where the strikeout rate got so much better. Uh, so I liked him no matter where he wound up, even if he stayed with Oakland. I, I might have been making the case for him as a breakout, but of course he's going to Atlanta, more favorable place to hit, a much better lineup. The big concern for Sean Murphy is he's going to a team that already had an all-star catcher in, in Travis Darnell. But I think what the Braves were thinking, because you, you look at them trading William Contreras, oh, young, cost-controlled guy seems to have a big offensive ceiling. Like, why would they do this? And I think they were looking at these rule changes about to take effect, um, and we're and we're thinking, okay, we need somebody who can control the running game here. And Sean Murphy is definitely that. He's one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. So I think they got him to play a lot, specifically behind the plate. And Travis Darnot is going to be more of a true backup as a catcher while also maybe getting some at-bats at DH. And, I mean, Sean Murphy's a good enough hitter that he could get some at-bats at DH, too, if he needs a breather behind the plate. I, I don't think playing – like, it, it'll be a struggle for him to lead the position in at-bats again. I doubt that's going to happen. But I think he's going to be top six, top eight at the position in at-bats still. And if the offensive improvements hold for Sean Murphy, that's going to make him a better fantasy asset overall. 
All right, a breakout for me. Another one that's going pretty late in drafts. That's Logan Ohapi with the Angels, 271 ADP, 21st catcher off the board. Last season in the minors, ridiculous year, 283 batting average with a 416 on base. This guy has a great eye. Uh, he walks a ton, 26 home runs in 104 games in the minors. He got five games in at the end of the season with the Angels. He got called up straight from double A. So, I do question if he'll be up to start the season. I'm kind of just hoping that he is. Max Stassi is the other catcher on the roster, so I don't, you know, I, I think if they want to put out their best product, it probably involves Logan Ohapi, but if he starts all season, I think we could see a, a pretty decent offensive season. I like uh, Logan Ohapi as a breakout second catcher in two catcher leagues. Bust for me, I'll just get a start started here. Scott, you mentioned the name. It's Travis Darno. 187.5 ADP, 13th catcher off the board. He was really good last year. He's been a serviceable catcher for fantasy at times, but now he's a backup, and I think he'll get some games in at DH, like you mentioned, but he's also on a team that has Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna. They don't really owe those guys anything, but if they are hitting well, they probably are going to want to play one or you know, one of those two at DH, just kind of worry about the playing time. I think it really, really could fall off here for Travis Darno. Maybe he gets traded, and that's the way that you know he kind of lives up to value. But I really just don't want anything to do with Travis Darno. Uh, for at this for price. what it's worth, one of Ozuna and Rosario is going to have to play left field because they don't have anyone better to do that. <laughs> that's so a it's, problem. <laughs> it's like you're right. I am concerned about Travis Darno's at bats, but you know. It, I, I think it's unlikely both of those guys, Rosario and Ozuna, are so good that the Braves are going to want both of their bats in the lineup that consistently. All right, Chris, who do you have as a bust at the catcher position? It, it's MJ Melendez, and this one is almost strictly about the cost. I, I think like the skill set is impressive enough, and the possibility of him being a huge breakout makes him worth buying, but going inside of the top 100 is where I, I start to lose the the love for him, the, you know, the quality of contact metrics are good, but not great. They weren't as good as William Contreras's, for instance. Um, he was really bad defensively as a catcher. I think he was one of the least valuable uh, catching defensive catchers. So like that could be a problem if he doesn't, you know, play well in the outfield, but mostly it's just, you look, I think the cost is like, well, he hit 41 home runs in 124 games in 2021. But you look at the rest of his minor league track record, and it's an 800 OPS total, despite the fact that, you know, a third of his games came in that 2021 season. He was okay in the majors. He was very bad before he got called up last season. So I think there's just a lot of volatility there that's being baked into a price that I can't quite justify. MJ Melendez, according to StatCast, First percentile in framing last season. Not yes. great. Not great. Uh, yeah. Uh, baseball prospectus had him minus 17 and a half framing runs. Yikes. That's Do bad. Doesn't sound good. Uh, Scott, a bust. Someone we haven't talked about yet. Cal Raleigh of the Mariners, who is among the 13. That may be good in my eyes, but he's not one of the nine. He actually tied for the lead with at, at the position with 27 home runs last year. So that's that's why people are going to gravitate toward him on draft day. But like, he really was just a one-trick pony and, and really sell, sold out for power such that like he has to maintain it to the degree he did last year to be useful. He had a near 30% strikeout rate, which is bad. His... 
fly ball rate, 55.7%, according to Fangrass, the second among hitters with at least 400 at-bats. So like everything's going in the air if he's not just whiffing on it. He had 27 home runs last year versus 30 singles, which is hard to do. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of Mike Zunino two years ago. Now, Mike Zunino was a little more extreme with the strikeout rate, but they both put the... They both strike out a lot. They both put the ball in the air a ton. Two years ago, remember, Zunino hit 33 home runs to go with a 216 batting average. Very similar profile there to Cal Raleigh. Last year, Zunino uh, was batting 148. He ended up suffering a season-ending injury in June and so never had a chance to recover. But we were over him by the time that happens because he was batting 148. So I could see a very similar situation playing out for Cal Raleigh and... Um, him not making good on your investment in him because how, how, how about another comp that's a little closer to home feels very Tom Murphy esque to me. Mm. Yeah. The one thing I'll say for Cal Raleigh is that the stat cast numbers, he still did hit the ball hard. His max EV was 94th percentile and mm. lots of barrels. When 96th you put the, percentile on barrel rate. Yeah. So when you put the ball in the air that much and you hit it that hard, you know, like home runs are going to pop. But yeah, the batting average is going to be a huge liability. Uh, Scott bringing a new meaning to the nickname Big Dumper for Cal Raleigh there as his bust this season. Let's ra- wrap up with some more ADP. We're going to go a little bit longer here as we will likely do on most of our position previews. But two more catchers who I think are probably in that top 13 you've been talking about, Scott. Tyler Stevenson has an ADP of 137.5. The aforementioned Cal Raleigh at 153.5. Tyler Stevenson was good last year. The problem, he only played 50 games. He had a concussion in April, fractured thumb in June, a fractured clavicle in July, but he hit 319 with six home runs and an 854 OPS. Thank God that he plays in Great American Ballpark because if you look at the home versus road splits in his career, they are drastic. I don't know what he would look like outside of there, but Scott, guess what? Tyler Stevenson's playing in Cincinnati again, so I think as yeah. a result, he's probably going to be serviceable as a low-end catcher one. We were a little leery of him at this time last year because the, the the stack cast page is unimpressive. You know, a lot of blue sliders on it. But I, I think he's a guy who just takes advantage of the most favorable home run park in baseball and is able mm-hmm. to put up stud numbers because of it. Uh, and they say even that they're wanting to give him a bigger workload like have him in the lineup 140 150 games this year uh he'll have to stay healthy in order to do that and clearly he didn't last year and that's my biggest concern about him really is just durability but yeah he's he's in the 13 who could join the nine to uh to make this a position even stronger yeah 930 career ops at home 721 ops on the road so that's a significant gap but Given the ballpark, it might not be entirely unsustainable. Yeah, and he also is someone who pulls, he increases pull rate last year, 34% in 2021, 45% last year. Again, this is Tyler Stevenson. So you pull the ball, the ball, good things are going to happen in Great American Ballpark. Uh, we just spoke about Cal Raleigh. Let's move on to three more catchers going from picks 185 to 200. That includes Travis Darno at 187.5, Cabert Ruiz with an ADP of 189, and Danny Jansen with an ADP of 194.5. Uh, Chris, this group here, Travis Darno, I mentioned, likely a backup now. Not sure how much he's going to DH. Cabert Ruiz he came up as a big prospect. The hit tool has been solid. He makes a lot of contact. It's not hard contact. You know, 251 batting average last year. 
And there hasn't been any power. Just seven home runs last season. His home run to fly ball ratio and his ISO so far in his major league career has been abysmal. That is Caber Ruiz. And then Danny Jansen, uh, it's, it's kind of the opposite. Last year, I mean, he was a small sample size darling where he put the ball in the air a lot, hit a lot of power, uh, 15 home runs in 72 games and 855 OPS. Uh, what do you think about this group? Travis Darno, Cabert Ruiz, Danny Jansen. We're, we're kind of getting into like second catcher territory at this point. Oh, this is clear second catcher territory, I think, though. Cabert Ruiz clearly has top 12 catcher upside. Again, he's sort of like uh, Gabriel Moreno. If you, if you squint, his skill set's not dissimilar from Alejandro Kirk. It's just that despite being like a pretty big, well-built dude, Cabert Ruiz just doesn't hit the ball well. And, you know, you can hit for average in the minors when you're hitting a lot of line drives, even if they're not hit that hard, you're making a lot of contact. But at the majors, those tend to turn into outs a lot more often. So it's, it's a little bit of a concern, but there's definitely top 12 upside. I think Danny Jansen, if you're talking about an upside play, he's the one who clearly has the most upside of this group because basically it's just if Alejandro Kirk was out of the picture, we'd probably be drafting Danny Jansen as a top 12 catcher, right? Like he'd be in the William Contreras range. We're talking about a guy who has legitimate prospect pedigree, has performed at the major league level. We just don't think he's going to play enough to justify that kind of price, but he really just needs one Alejandro Kirk injury, and all of a sudden, he's almost certainly going to be ranked in the top 10. Or even Brandon Belt, Chris, someone who has sure. consistently been hurt. So, I mean, we get a Belt injury, then likely Jansen and Kirk are, are playing almost every day. So. All right, I got, I got two counterpoints here, all right? First, I want to say that Travis Darno is the last of the 13, the one we haven't mentioned yet, because I think it really just comes down to playing time for him. Are they mm-hmm. going to find enough with Sean Murphy there? And I think they, they could because they don't have anybody who needs a lot of DH at-bats um, based on the, the way they performed last year. So that's, that's point one. Point two, Danny Jansen was my second choice for bust at this position if Cal Raleigh wasn't there. Because uh, he has been around for a while now. He's been letting us down in fantasy for a while now. And he didn't last year. But it was largely because of a late surge. So as late as September 6th, Danny Jansen was batting 218. He ended up hitting 260. I kind of feel like it's a situation where he just happened to be at his very hottest when the season ended. So the numbers didn't have time to regress. And... um you know, especially when you factor in Kirk and his need for a bats, like, I don't know. I'd, I I could see it working out for Danny Jansen, but by the time I'm drafting Danny Jansen, I'm I'm kind of halfway looking at like the Francisco Alvarez's and Logan Ohapis of the world and like, just give me the most upside at this point. Cause I'm not, I'm not confident it's there for Jansen. One thing I would point out with Darno as well is Murphy Played a ton of games last year. I can't remember if he went on the IL at all in 2021, but remember before he really established himself, this was a guy who missed a lot of time. Uh, missed, I think he had knee surgery in the 2019 offseason. He had missed, he played 61 games total in 2019, 73 in 2018, about 116 in 2017. So this, this was a guy who has missed a lot of time before the past couple of seasons. I'm not saying that necessarily makes him an injury risk, but all the things I said about Danny Jansen and the you know the path to top 12 upside is certainly the same that you can say for Travis Darno. 
You drop 50 spots in ADP after Danny Jansen, and we get to five more names I want to talk about between picks 240 and 270. Jonah Heim, who is, I think, the starter for Texas. It sounds like Mitch Garver is on pace to be ready for spring training, coming back from flexor tendon surgery. And Heim was okay last year, 227 batting average, 16 home runs. Uh, again, solid for a second catcher. Christian Vasquez signed a three-year, $30 million deal with the Twins. He's now 32 years old. Uh, batting average contributor, 274 hitter last year, but only nine home runs. Bo Naylor is a prospect, younger brother of Josh Naylor, and also in the Guardians organization. Has a very Dalton Varsho-esque skill set. 21 homers, 20 steals in the minors last season. But the Guardians also signed Mike Zanino. This offseason and Yasmani Grandal with an ADP of 266. Nightmare season. What could go wrong did go wrong for Grandal. Now 34 years old. He hit 202 with five homers and a 570 OPS. I did read an article that uh, this offseason he's going through a rigorous training regimen basically to just rebuild his entire body. He had back injuries last year, issues with his legs. So there's a lot going on there. But now entering a contract year, uh, Scott. Do you like any of these five? Grandal, Bo Naylor, Christian Vasquez, Gabriel Moreno, Jonah Heim. I can tell you who I don't like for sure is Jonah Heim, gotcha. who was basically a nobody when he had to take over for Mitch Garver and and really, you know, surprised everybody with his performance. It didn't last. Over the final two months, Jonah Heim hit 157. Uh, for what it's worth, I think Mitch Garver... How many years have I said this before? I think Mitch Garver might actually be something of a sleeper. He's going to enter, enter with only DH eligibility because his injury got to a point where it only allowed him to play DH. But I, I imagine he's going to regain catcher at some point. And uh, Shane Langoliers, actually, uh, who's, who's taking over for Sean Murphy in Oakland and was a former prospect, uh, he's in the same situation, beginning the year DH only, but should gain catcher eligibility in short order. So just a couple of bonus sleepers there who might slip through the cracks because they don't show up as catchers yet. Shea Langoliers and Mitch Garver. But anyway, getting back to this group, uh, I, I think at the for the price, it's not a bad idea to take a flyer on Yasmani Grandal. 34 is very old for a catcher, and it's certainly possible he's just lost it. But yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with him as my number two guy, given that he has a long track record of success. And uh, Bo Naylor... You know, I, I say there's only been two 2020 catchers in Major League history. Well, he did it in the minors last year, so there's certainly reason to like him. I think he's – the Guardians seem to have really high standards for their catchers defensively. That's why Francisco Mejia never got a shot there, and, and I think there have been a couple others like that too. And it seems like they're not totally sold on Bo Naylor behind the plate. So I think he might end up spending a lot of time in the minors – so I don't put him in the same class as Francisco Alvarez and Logan Ohapi, even though he did get a look late last year. But of course, if he does get called up for the Guardians, Bo Naylor would be a very exciting choice at catcher. So somebody in two catcher leagues, so you could at least think about drafting. Four more catchers going from ADP 270 to 290. We have Logan Ohapi with the Angels, Eric Haas with the Tigers, Shea Langoliers, who again only has util, uh, utility only to start the season on both CBS and NFBC. Uh, Francisco Alvarez with an ADP of 281.5. Uh, Chris, anything you'd like to add? Three you know, interesting young prospect-ish catchers here, and then Eric Haas, who can provide some pop. I think Ohapi, if you look at his minor league numbers, they it, 
relative to the scouting reports, I think they probably the 2022 out breakout is probably a little overstating what he's likely to do in the majors. You know, I think he was like a 900 OPS bat uh, in the minors, if not a little higher. I don't think that's the kind of potential you should expect from him. From what I've gathered, the like exit velocities are more okay than great, but he does have a fly ball and pull heavy approach at the plate. So I do think he could develop into one of those 240 batting average, 20 plus homer guys. Um, so with, I, I don't with a mind. really high OBP. I would guess because yeah. his walk rates have always been tremendous. Yeah, I don't mind him as a number two catcher, especially given that there's not really much playing time concern in Los Angeles, at least, you know, not that he's not going to make the roster. So he's probably my favorite of this group. Just you're you're hoping for upside here. ADP 290 or later, I think I've got six names here. Elias Diaz, who's likely to start for the Rockies. Joey Bart, likely to start for the Giants. Mike Zanino, now at the Guardians, as I mentioned. Carson Kelly, splitting time with Gabriel Moreno in Arizona. Jan Gomes, splitting time with Tucker Barnhart in Chicago with the Cubs. And then Austin Nola, who is going all the way down to pick 385. I think he's probably the starter, but you know, Scott, I'm I'm probably more interested in Luis Campusano to see if he can do anything with the Padres. So, uh, lots yeah, it's like th- three years in a row that we've said that. <laughs> yeah, they they keep passing. Maybe they have really high standards for what their catchers do defensively too. Yeah, but yeah, it does seem like um, because uh, um, uh, oh man, the former Marlins catcher who Jorge, was with Jorge Alfaro last year, Jorge Alfaro. Yeah, because he's gone now. Um. It does seem like Camposano has an easier path to maybe getting a chance than he has in the past. So I, I do like him as a deep sleeper, and I like him more than I like uh, Austin Nola for fantasy. Uh, from this group, you know, it's a pretty unexciting group. I, I think Jan Gomes is being undervalued. He was always a, a solid number two type catcher in two catcher leagues back when he was a starter previously, and he's just kind of been he's out of the, the platonic ideal of a number two catcher. Yeah, he's been out of the starter mix for a while, so people might overlook him. Joey Bart seems like he's going late, and I get it. Like He was pretty bad last year with all the strikeouts, and I'm not excited about Joey Bart the way I was before he got called up, you know. Uh, but at the same time, he, you know, he, he hits the ball pretty hard. He's young enough that he could still improve the contact skills, and uh, we're getting to a pretty uninspiring group here. He just I, I, needs I feel to, like he has more potential than most of them. He needs to just strike out a lot rather than, you know, more than anyone ever in baseball history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because he had a 39% strikeout rate last season. It was 38% for his career. He had a 439 expected Woba on contact last season. So when he makes contact, he was the best hitting catcher in baseball. Uh, unfortunately, you know, 40% contact rate is the point where that doesn't matter. But he could have some, uh, you know, peak Mike Zanino type seasons if he just takes a little bit of a step forward as a contact player. Like he could be one of those, you know, 220, 20 plus homer guys. I think that's well within his range of possibilities. Joey Bark got sent down to the minors in June. He returned in July over his final 61 games. He hit 246. With seven home runs and a thirty-four percent strikeout rate, so he did get it down a little bit. You know, maybe that could, would that would make him playable as a number yeah. two catcher. Probably, it yeah. wouldn't make him good, but it would be enough, I think. 
if he does that, it's probably 220 batting average, mm-hmm. pushing 20 home runs, and that's a number two catcher. So you that's know. that's Jan Gomes. <laughs> yeah, basically. A couple <laughs> other names just to remember. Again, very deep league stuff here. Nick Fortes helped some people win championships in two catcher leagues last year. Uh, he hit 230 with nine home runs and five steals in 72 games with the Marlins. They still have Jacob Stallings, but, uh, you know, He's Jacob Stallings, so just remember the name Nick Fortes. Jose Trevino still starting for the Yankees, solid last year. The Pirates have a prospect duo, Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis, who I think Andy Rodriguez could debut as soon as like May or June. You know, Davis maybe a little bit later on in the season. On on teams other than the Pirates, uh, he could debut on opening day, Andy right. Rodriguez. <laughs> like he was... He was ridiculous to end last season. He had like 400 over the final six weeks with a ton of power. Just yeah. a prospect you may not have heard of because he was such a recent uh, riser, but like he's way up on top 100 list this year, Andy Rodriguez. Last name I wanted to mention, Yainer Diaz. That's spelled Y-A-I-N-E-R Diaz, projected to be the backup in Houston. And... He had an awesome season in the minors last year, too. 306 batting average, 25 homers, and 898 OPS. He's actually just been really good his entire minor league profile uh, career. So uh, if Martin Maldonado you know, misses time or they just kind of wor- want to work this guy in a little bit more, just a name to remember, Yainer Diaz with the Astros. We're going to wrap there. Our first one, it's in the books. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.